0: We've been going through First Peter and in the ending of First Peter chapter 2, it speaks of over and over and over again submission and the things that we're to submit to. It talks about submitting to the government and it also speaks of submitting to our bosses or in this time period it will be slaves and owners. And now this next portion of chapter 3 verse 1 is probably the portion that i can get the most trouble in which is wives being submissive to their husbands right this is the joy and blessing of going through the bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter is uh none of the husbands spoke to me at the retreat and say you know what you should teach about zach first peter chapter three my wife really needs to hear that right so again this is all the lord the analogies i use are the lord sometimes people come to me like that's exactly what i'm going through i said i had no clue That's all the Lord. Sometimes I make up analogies that never even happen to me. So again, it's all the Lord. It's all the Lord. And again, all of this is within the context of our outline to remember that we have an example before men. So we have an example at our jobs We have an example in our country, right, depending how we are acting as citizens of America. And now there's a great example that we can set up and lay within our own homes. And again, before we dive in, the question that I propose for us is what is the first thing that we see or the filter that we see everything through, the lens that we see everything through? And I talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago. Do we see this world and the culture of our world and then we process everything through what the world and the culture around us tells us? Or we being heaven-bound souls, heavenly-minded people, we see the culture around us based upon what the Word of God tells us? Because depending which lens you're using will be dependent on if the teaching tonight is a blessing to you and convicts you and you want to grow... Or it'll be, as God's Word tells us, right? a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. You'll be disgusted at the teaching and the truth of God's Word. Uh, This week, I read a devotional, and man, such a special Devo. It was uh, a Tozer Devo, and he warns that we often look at God like if He's our servant. We look at the Lord as if he owes us something, and we forget who he truly is. It's a devotional by A.W. Tozer. I shared it with the young adults, but it comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. And it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with the span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure Weigh the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. And speaking of the Lord, he goes on to say, We must be concerned with the person and character of God, not the promises. Through promises, we learn what God has willed to us, and we learn what we may claim as our heritage. We learn how we should pray. But faith itself must rest on the character of God. Is this difficult to see? Why are we not stressing this in our evangelical circles? Why are we afraid to declare that people in our churches must come to know God himself? Why do we not tell them that they must get beyond the point of making God a lifeboat for their rescue or a ladder to get them out of a burning building? How can we help our people get over the idea that God exists to help them run their businesses or fly their airplanes? God is not a railway porter who carries your suitcase and serves you. God is God. He made heaven and earth. He holds the world in his hand. He measures the dust of the earth in the balance He spreads out the sky like a mantle. He is the great God Almighty. He is not your servant. He is your father, and you are his child. He sits in heaven, and you are on the earth. Again, depending how we view God and is going to be dependent on how we view God's word, which is then going to be dependent on how we react when we hear the word of God. So again, with this whole idea of submission is, are we okay with submitting to authority? That chief authority is God himself. And if we're honest, the whole world is fighting against that authority of God. And now we, as humans, we don't do so well with authority, right? We constantly want to be going against it. So ladies, tonight we're going to be dealing a lot with wives. Don't worry, going to give equal time. Even though there's just one verse for the men and six verses for the women, next week you bring all your husbands, right? Don't let your husbands run away. Next week we'll talk about the husbands and what God's word says about the husbands. But let's read through verse 1 through 6, and then we'll come back around. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, the arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So again, the context of what's going on here when Peter's writing this letter. It's interesting, right? Many of the men, husbands, this is the verses they know all oh so well, right? Sadly, right? George Lee, he tells the men, hey, these certain portions of Scripture, husbands, you sort of like erase and cover with whiteout. You don't read that. Men, you just focus on you. Ladies, you focus on you. But what's the context here, right? Again, Peter's writing to Jewish believers who, as we've gone through the progression, may struggle with Roman authority, may struggle with Roman slave owners, and now women who are coming to know Christ may be struggling with a husband who's not saved and still in his Jewish traditions. David Guzik, he says the teaching about submission was especially relevant to a first century married woman who had begun to follow Jesus. Perhaps she would be asking questions. Should I leave my husband, right? Should I change my behavior towards him? Should I assume superior position to him because now I'm in Christ Jesus and he's still in the Old Covenant? In the culture of the ancient world, it was almost unthinkable for a wife to adopt a different religion than her husband. Christian women who came to Jesus before their husbands needed instruction. We thank the Lord for this. We thank Peter for this. So we begin, right? Likewise, be submissive. We spoke about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He tells us, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Right, we talked about permitting. We talked about the speed limit. We talked about voting. Different things like that. That we should be in submission to our government and governing authorities. Even if they're not that great. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 18. It's when it told us. Servants be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle. But also to the harsh. So again, it's not dependent if our boss is good or if he's a jerk that now we should submit to them. And the same is true here for the wives. And even for us as believers, we are to submit one to another and we're to submit to the Lord. That word submission, it's a military term speaking of arrangement. Arrangement one under another. It's yielding to an authority. So again, God's word is not saying that the woman is any less than the man. If we're honest here, ladies, you're a lot smarter than most of us, right? That's why Peter's able to give them six verses and he gives the men just one verse, right? We got enough problems on our own. Sandy, all the teachings from Sandy were only four points for the men to be able to get a hold of and not get lost, right? Again, most men were, were much more simple-minded. The ladies are much smarter, they're much better at planning things and all sorts of things, listening to a teaching, and it's so true, right? There's 14-year-old there's ladies here, and there's many of them I would trust that take care of my kids. I love the guys here with all my heart. I don't know how many 14-year-old boys I would say, hey, can you babysit my three kids, right? And, and fully trust, and I have to be on my knees and praying and fasting, Right? And this idea of submission, it's all throughout Scripture. Even within the Trinity, there is a submissive pattern. You see, God, the Holy Spirit, submits to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ submits to God the Father. So even within perfection, the Trinity, three in one, there is a pattern of submission. We'll look at that real quick in Matthew chapter 36 Verse 39 and 42, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. There, Jesus, it tells us during the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying and he's saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then in verse 42, he prays a, a second time and he says, My Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will Be done. Again, Jesus was fully submitted to God. Even though he knew it was going to be painful and difficult, Jesus was more than willing to be submitted to Lord God, his Father. In Philippians chapter 2, we can turn there. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7, again, it speaks to us of the power of Christ and yet the humility he had to be submissive to God the Father. There in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7, it tells us, "...who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore... Because Jesus did these things, right in verse 6, 7, and 8, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And again, Christ always leads by example. At the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, it began talking about Christ. Submit to the government. Submit to masters. Why? Jesus Christ was willing to submit even though he didn't deserve to die on the cross. It wasn't his sins. It wasn't his mistakes. It wasn't his battling against God. He was willing to submit even though he was taking the penalty for someone else. And now Christ is asking us, as he has led by example... Submit to one another. And now here he's speaking to the ladies, to the wives. Submit to your husbands. Just like we're supposed to be submissive to the government, to bosses. And now God's word says to be submissive specifically to your husband. So any other random dude here in church, you don't have to submit to him. A boyfriend, don't have to submit to him. A fiance, you do not have to submit to him. Until it's I do and it's I done, you don't have to submit to him. Again, that's the whole point of God, and he's a great God of order. And he tells us within a specific place, ladies, wives, you need to submit to husbands, period. No, your own husbands, not your dads, not your grandfathers, not your brothers. No, to your own husbands. Again, and God, he presents submission all over the Bible. And there's great blessing when we obey God's word. So there will be blessing in our lives when we submit to God's word and when we submit to what God tells us to submit to. Going to rattle off a list. David Guzik, he put this list together. He says, Jesus submitted to his own parents in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. The demons submitted to the disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. We read earlier, right, that citizens should submit to government authority. That's found in 1 Peter two thirteen, Titus chapter 3, verse 1, and Romans chapter 13. We know that the universe will submit to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 and Ephesians chapter 1. If you need any of these verses later on, you can come talk to me afterwards. I'll send you the PDF. The unseen spiritual beings will submit to Jesus and have submitted to Jesus. We'll see that in verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Christian believers should submit to their church leaders in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15 and 16. And 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5. Wives should submit to their husbands in Colossians chapter 3 verse 18. Titus chapter 2 verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 5 and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 and 24. The church at large is to be submitted to Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24, servants should submit to their masters in Titus chapter 2 verse 9 and 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 18 and finally Christians should submit to God in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9 and James chapter 4 verse 7. In a sense, God tells us the way up is down. The way to blessing is by being submitted and being under submission. But is this what the world is telling us? Is this what the world tells us today? Is this what the movies are telling us or telling our kids? No, the world tells us that true freedom, it's not found in submission, but it's found in rebellion. That's what the world tells us. The scary thing is that Satan wholeheartedly agrees with this. Was he willing to be submitted under God the Father? He says, no, I will rise just like him. I'm going to rise up just like him. Satan was unwilling to submit to the order that God had put, the authority that God had put. So now the question for us, right, is are we looking more biblical or are we looking more like the other guy, right? Are we willing to submit? So now our heart and attitude to true biblical submission, it is driven by what God's Word tells us, or like we started off with the narrative of this world. Now again, God doesn't just tell us to obey with just a blind submission, right? Pastors, my husband just loves, right, Bonnie and Clyde, so he's telling us that now we're going to be bank robbers, right? And now that's just what we're going to do. No, don't have to submit to that, right? Right? You can write down Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. This is where submission ends, right? Peter and John, they answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Submission is to be disobeyed when it comes against God's word. Submission is to be disobeyed when it comes against God's word. Again, we talked about how all the disciples basically died because they were not submitting to the government authorities telling them to not preach the gospel. So again, for us, submission, it ends once it's against God's word. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. So again, wives, be submissive, right? Wives, likewise, just like we read at the end of chapter 2, Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So again, even if the man was an unbeliever, wives, you are to submit to your husband unless he's asking you to do unbiblical things. Right? Marriage, it's an amazing thing. It's a pretty funny thing though, right? Do you notice when people get married, especially when they're young, If you could peek into the guy's mind, right, and the girl's mind for a quick second. The man looks at the wife and says, man, she's never going to change, right? That's what he thinks. She's never going to change. She's going to look the same way. She's always going to touch my muscles the same way. There's never going to be a honey-do list. We're just always going to be playing and going around. She's going to stay the same forever, right? And then what does the woman think? Oh, wait till I get a hold of him, right? I'm going to change him. Wait right now. He's a little gordito, but wait once I get married. I'm going to cook for him and, and watch what I do for him, right? And what Peter is warning, ladies, is you can't change your husband. Even for good things, even for biblical things, not for taking out the trash or putting the toilet seat down. But for him to get saved, ladies, you can't do that change. But Peter here gives you the best chance to be able to change your husband and it's not through words right it's not through words my wife's always kind of amazed at some of the guys that hang out with right have you talked about this and that with them and no not really right you were with them for three hours what were you doing i don't know we're just watching the game right nobody's talking just watching the game right you were out you were with them three hours yeah we're just fishing just watching just doing nothing right no talking but ladies they're always talking right that's just what happens They're just always talking. So now Peter's warning you, hey, if you want a chance, you want the best chance at changing your husband, it tells you the only way to do it is without a word. (laughs) That's the Bible. That's not me. That's what God's Word says. Again, Peter's giving you the best chance to change your husband. It's not through words. I haven't had many men come up here say, hey, I want to get saved because my wife has been nagging me like crazy, right? <laughs> She's been nagging me, so that's why I want to come to the Lord. It's not by writing Turner Burn on the mirror, right, while he's taking a shower. It's not by playing the same Billy Graham message on repeat over and over and over. It's not by putting God's way radio on every single one of his radio dials and then smashing it with a hammer. That's, that's not the way to get him saved. Ladies, it's through your conduct. And if we're honest, most of us, the only way we're really willing to accept change in our lives from someone else, it's through conduct that has changed in them. Especially in men, we're super prideful, right? How many even saved men are willing to say, you know what, honey, you were right, I was wrong, right? How many men are really willing to say that, right? Wrong turn, wrong exit, and the wife is looking at you, right? Honey, I planned this all. Look at that park. I was wanting to show you that park over there, right? We're not really great at that. So now an unbelieving husband, how willing is he going to be able to say, you know what, my wife is right. I am dead wrong when it comes to eternity, heaven, hell, and salvation. It's only a supernatural work. A couple of quotes here. Unspoken acting is more powerful than unperformed speaking. Unspoken acting is more powerful than unperformed speaking. For some of us in simpler terms, actions speak louder than words. Maybe you've heard it said, all bark and no bite. All talk and no action. All show and no go. And when a wife begins to nag on her husband over and over and over again, it has the opposite effect. It repels him. He says, man, I want to get out of here. I want to run away from here. Right? Proverbs says that it's like a leaky faucet, the nagging of a wife. It's like Chinese torture basically, right? It's the worst thing ever. You don't want that. You don't want someone nagging you. Man, the men's retreat was awesome. We had one of the guys, such a sweet guy. He was talking about a mission trip and one guy set up their hammock. And he set up his hammock and then he's all ready. They're tired, they're exhausted, and he goes to fall asleep on his hammock. And then what do you know? Starts dripping on his head. Starts dripping on his head. So yes, he takes off the hammock and the only place to hang it, he looks all around. The only place to hang it is underneath the other guy's hammock. Like underneath the other guy's hammock. But the dripping was so bad, he was willing to sleep underneath the other guy's hammock with his butt right here as he was sleeping. To get away from the drippy faucet, right? The leaky roof dripping on his forehead. So, again, ladies, nagging your husband or nagging a man, it's gonna repel them. God's word says that it's better to live on your housetop, the corner of your housetop, than to be in a big house with a contentious wife. So, again, what's the way, what's your best chance at changing the man? Is through your conduct. Verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Your submission and chaste conduct is the best tools that God wants to give you to change the men in your life. It's through conduct. It's not through nagging. It's not through cutting down. But we'll look at that in a moment. That word observe is narrowly looking into it. That as your husband studies, right, and men, they study, they, everyone, all the guys say they don't like to study, but once they pick up a hobby, they start studying it, right? If it's fishing, if it's hunting, if it's woodworking, all they're doing is studying how to get better and better at that thing. And now, as your husband is closely observing your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, that word chaste, it's pure in thought and action, pure in thought and pure in action. It's modest, modesty. That word modest, it's having a limited and not overly high opinion of oneself. A limited and not overly high opinion of oneself. It's someone who's not boastful. And finally, that word fear, at the end of verse 2, it's a high or special regard. It's courtesy and politeness. So again, what's your best chance at winning your husband over to salvation or winning your husband over to doing more biblical things or more godly things or strengthening him to be the man that God wants him to be? It's as your husband carefully looks at your life over time and he sees your pure motivations, your pure actions, your humble attitude of yourself and the courtesy, politeness and special regard you have for him. He might be willing to humble himself and say, you know what? My wife is right. It's only through that power of the Holy Spirit, ladies. That's your best chance at winning him over. It's not by doing things from evil or selfish thoughts, doing things out of evil or selfish, right, actions. I'm going to go out with the girls because you're just such a jerk, so I'm just getting out of here. What are we having tonight for dinner, honey? Easy, Matt, because you're being a jerk to me. That's not how you're going to win him over. It's not from boasting about how smart and amazing you are, or how much you make more money than he does, right? That's not how you're going to win him over. It's not from nagging or belittling or questioning his manhood or IQ. Right? I have three kids. I didn't know I had four, right? That's not how you're going to win him over. It's by being a biblical woman. And biblical women are attracted By biblical men. And biblical men are the best husbands and the best fathers. So again, especially for the single girls here, who do you want to be your husband? And who do you want? The bigger question is, who do you want to raise your sons and daughters? A biblical man or a man from the world? Because again, the world loves to promote the other, right? The boastful, the nagging, the mean woman, right? They've taken profanities and now it's almost like a mark of honor for a woman that if they're acting as a certain way yeah they're doing a great job but you don't see that commonly promoted in a woman that has a great marriage or a great family life you don't see a great dad promoting that type of lifestyle within a woman who are the ones promoting this often it's single ladies or single men It's not someone that has a genuine good family. They're saying, yeah, women should act like this, and they should be jerks, and they should be nasty, and they should be rougher and tougher than all the men. Again, ladies, this is your best chance at winning him over. This is your best chance at attracting a biblical man. And again, men, if this is what God asks and requires of them, we have a lot of work to do as well. Again, God's word for the married woman, right? It's not about him being saved or not, unless he's doing unbiblical things. But if you're single, you don't have to submit to any Joe Schmo in this church, right? You have to honor your father. That's about it. Wait for the right man. Don't tell yourself, oh, I just have to give up and just grab the first guy with a pulse, right? No, that's not the case. Wait, and the Lord wants to do it. Then he says in verse 3 and 4, do not let your adornment be merely outward." Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. And the original Greek here wouldn't have the word fine. It's just putting on apparel. But rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, many people who are into legalism, they take this scripture and now they say, You know what, ladies? You shouldn't do your hair. You shouldn't put on any jewelry, and you shouldn't put on nice clothes, right? That's a bunch of lies. That's a bunch of legalism. If not, if they were being honest, then they would have nudist colonies because that's what it's really saying there, putting on apparel, not fine apparel, right? So I don't know of any Christian legalistic nudist colonies where the women are not allowed to arrange their hair or wear jewelry, right? But people tend to put legalism on these things. And again, ladies, you should dress nice. Men, you should dress nice as well. It's always interesting when a guy and girl start dating, right? They start dressing a little bit nicer, right? Sadly, sometimes the guys, once they get married, they take their foot off the gas and now they bring all their single clothes back out, right? Because <laughs> they say, I already got her. She can't go anywhere. No, that's not the case. That's not what we should be doing. We should always be looking better and better for our husband and wife. Joe Foji put it this way. He says, people in the world dress to kill they dress to kill the ladies for the ladies here ladies in the world they are dressing to hunt down your husband so if they come home to a wife that doesn't arrange her hair is not wearing any jewelry not putting on any fine apparel might be able to get away with no apparel but not putting on any fine apparel he's gonna get eaten alive he's gonna get eaten alive Again, we should do our best with what God has given us. We should be healthy. We should take care of the temple that God has given us. And we shouldn't be settling and making excuses for lack of discipline or making excuses for laziness, right? If we were once willing to get dressed nice for her or for him, why stop now? Because there's some person out there in the world that's willing to dress nice for them, willing to tell them nice things. So the enemy can use them to steal and kill and destroy. But verse 4 tells us it's not all about the outward. Verse 4 tells us rather or connected with it, don't just be focused on the arranging of hair and the wearing of gold and putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. God is telling us it's not just the outward, but it's the inward beauty which is precious to God. It's the inward beauty which is incorruptible. Ladies, you don't need more makeup for it. You don't need to see any special surgeon for it, right? It's incorruptible. It's never going to fade away. It's never going to get messed up when you have that inward beauty that God loves, that God desires. Dorothy Weston, an American short story writer, she wrote, beauty is but skin deep. Ugly, it's to the bone. And when beauty fades away, ugly claims its own. Again, got to be careful. Why do you like that person? Oh, they're just so beautiful, right? Are they saved? I think they got a Bible, right? I think I heard him read a verse, right? I think he said God helps those who help themselves or something like that, right? No, it's, it's going to fade away. It's going to fade away. But ugly, it's to the bone, right? I think we've all met people that on the outside, they're beautiful. But when they begin to speak, their persona, their pride, it's, it's disgusting. It's appalling. It's repelling. And Peter's warning the ladies, but warning all of us. Are we focused on the inward beauty of the heart? Again, true beauty, it's in the heart. It's not in the outward appearance that someone puts on. Real beauty... It's not something that you can fix up or nip or cut or tuck or paint on or paint off. No, it's something that you are. That's what true beauty is. There's people here that the ladies say, the guys say, man, that's just a beautiful person, right? And they're not just talking about the outward. They're talking about the humility, the love of Christ, the servant's heart that they have. The true inward beauty Which here again, it tells us, I'm not saying it. This is what God's word is saying. I just happen to agree with God's word. It says, it's a gentle and quiet spirit. And not only is it incorruptible, but it's very precious in the sight of God. So it's incorruptible, right? What kind of investments do you want? Do you want an investment that can fade away? An investment that's going to waste away? Or do you want something that is incorruptible? And then not only is it incorruptible, but it's very precious in the sight of God. And you hear it all the time. Ladies will say, that's not just who God made me to be. God didn't just make me to be a gentle and quiet spirit. God made me to be someone else. That's why it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Because God wants to do that work in you. Many of the men here, we were not created to be pure and not lust. Many of the men, because of sin, we have tons of pride issues and lust issues. So now what do we say? That's just not who God created me to be. I just walk around and I see ladies and I just, I stare at them all the time. I'm sorry, honey. That's just who God created me to be. No, we have to be willing to submit to God's word. So the question for us is, do we want to be precious in the sight of this world? Or do we want to be precious in the sight of God? Who is the ultimate authority that you want to hear well done, good, and faithful servant from? Is it from this world or is it from the Lord? And if that's us, we're saying that's not who I am, again, you've got to just trust in God. That's what verse 5 basically tells us. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. If you're unwilling to give up this persona that you've more likely than not put on to protect your heart and protect your emotions, it's because you're unwilling to trust in God. It takes trust, ladies. It takes a lot of trust to stay quiet when your husband's about to make a really dumb mistake, right? It takes trust in God, and that's ultimately where and who we are submitting to. It's not just to the husband. We are submitting to God himself. And we're saying, God, I submit to you. I submit to your word. So Lord Jesus, help me. I'm submitting to this man, right? Is it just when he makes good decisions? No. Sometimes he's going to make bad decisions. As long as they're not unbiblical, they're that. And then now for the men, don't be... I could talk to the men. Don't be an idiot who thinks, man, I'm, I don't ask my wife about anything. I don't ask her for permission for anything. You're being an idiot if that's the way you're living. You have there the person that you're sharing life with, your best friend, the person that cares for you, the only person that's going to probably be in the hospital when you get old and you need a diaper change, right? And now you're going to say you're not going to ask her about financial decisions. You're not going to ask her what she thinks about going out with a certain group of guys. You're not going to bring her in and say, honey, what do you think about this? I think God has given you wisdom. I think you're a Proverbs 31 woman. Honey, what do you think about these things? You're not being a wise man at all if you're not doing that. And again, depending if we are submitting to God and his authority when it comes to marriage, then marriage is either life's greatest blessing or life's greatest curse, right? A good marriage, it's either an adder or a subtractor, right? I don't know if I've made up some words here, but it's either an adder or a subtractor. And then if you get a divorce after a certain amount of years, it's a huge subtractor, right? And it is all dependent on if are you submitted to God and are you submitted to God's word. Marriage, it will either give you the best that life has to offer or the absolute worst that life has to offer. So again, that's why be careful who you pick. But once you say, I do, continue to submit to God's word. It's the best way. Marriage is so awesome. It's one of the most incredible things ever. Me and Amanda always joke, like we can't talk about this too much with the single people because then they're going to feel bad. But a godly marriage, it is awesome. Being able to share your life with your best friend, seeing your kids growing up, acting like you's not so great, but acting like your best friend, man, that's awesome. Then you get to grow old together. They get to leave the house and you get to just hang out with each other again. Marriage is awesome. But it's only when both people are submitted to the Lord. When both people are not focused on what can I suck out of this person but instead what can I give to this person and sadly a lot of marriages fail because both people are thinking what can I suck out of this person what can I take out of them is it money is it fame is it sex I just want sex so that's why I'm marrying this woman right that shouldn't be the only reason that you're marrying a woman should be one of the reasons but it should not be the only reason that you marry a woman right Again, I don't know how many people, man, I just love my wife. She was just so unattractive, right? And that's why I wanted to marry her, right? Doesn't work. Not a great way to to start off a marriage or say that to each other. But hey, let's get out of there. So again, (laughs) verse 5, right? In this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Here, Peter's showing us, ladies, this is not a new standard that I'm just making up here on the spot. But this is a standard that our forefathers or our foremothers, in a sense, have set up for us with Sarah. And Sarah, again, look at this. She was willing to submit to Abraham before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for the whole body of Christ. It should be just that much easier now than it was for her because now we have the Holy Spirit. Now we have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So if Sarah was able to do it before there was the Word of God, before there was the Old Testament, before there was the New Testament, before there was the Holy Spirit, we have the power to be submitted to one another. You have the power to submit to your husband, to listen to him and say, again, honey, we're equals, but I'm going to listen to you. Again, uh, an author put, I forget one he says, we're just teammates here. We're just teammates, and coach put you as team captain. You're not any better than me. Might actually be a better player than me, but God has given me a role, and God has given you a role. So at the end of the day, you got to call the shots. And again, if your husband is a godly man, having that fear of, hey, honey, I trust you. If that's what God told you to do for us and our family, and our future, go with it, my dear. Right? If you have a godly husband, there is weight attached to that that makes me always go, yeah, yeah, honey. Okay, Lord, is this, is this really, really what you want me to do, right? Is this really, really what you want me to do? Again, if Sarah was able to do it with Abraham, again, Abraham wasn't the greatest example of a husband. I don't remember any couples retreat where we study Abraham for the men and how to be a great husband, right? Right? <laughs> Ever, ever, ever. He's terrible. Two times he says, honey, I care more about my life than yours. So why don't you just lie and say that, that you're my sister, right? And again, the irony of it all. We don't know if Sarah's looking at him. Pharaoh thinks that he's going to be his future brother-in-law. So now he's hooking him up with a bunch of gifts. Hey, here's season tickets to the Dolphins. Here's season tickets to the Heat. Here's a new Mercedes. And we don't know if she's in the other room, like just staring at him, right? Like, okay, this, this is how this goes. You're going to say, I'm your sister, and yet he's going to be giving you sheep and oxen and cattle and servants. This is how this goes, honey, right? But yet she submitted. She submitted to him. At the end of the day, ladies, it all comes down to who do you trust? And your trust is not in your spouse. Your trust is in the Lord. That's where your trust is at. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Don't go home and call your husband's Lord, right? Unless you want to mess with him, but don't go home and say, Oh, Zach, see, honey, Zach told you. And you husbands, don't you dare pass this teaching on to your wife or anything like that. Right? Don't be doing anything dumb like that. Again, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Shouldn't be a fearful place to be. It makes you pray more. It puts you on your hands and knees. It puts you in a total new place of faith with God. But you're saying, Lord, I trust this man. Lord, I trust you. This is the order you put. We're teammates. You put him as team captain. All right, Lord, let's go for it, right? Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. You have Jesus being amazed at a man, which doesn't happen very often in Scripture. And this, again, we'll read through it. Verse 8, Matthew chapter 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. So again, for all of us, are we under authority? Are we willing to submit? Are we willing to submit to God? And are we willing to submit to God's word? Because that's where all of life sort of pours out afterwards. Is God the ultimate authority in my life? Is God's word the ultimate authority in my life? Because after that, hey, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's simple. It's simple to just say, okay, Lord, this is what your word says. Let's go for it. Lord, I want to put you to the test. I'm going to do this and see what you have for me. So, again, this is not extremes. Again, if your husband's doing unbiblical things, if your husband's cheating on you or hurting you, hurting your children, again, get out of Dodge. Give a season for a cool down to pray, to wait on the Lord. But for most of the godly women here and the godly husbands here, this is what God's word says. When he sets up a budget, hey, submit to that budget. When he says, hey, we're not going to the in-laws this year, hey, you can have a conversation about it. But at the end of the day, the biblical thing to do is to submit to it. That's just God's word for us.